Right, welcome to Faith Church. Glad you are with us. My name is Matthew, one of the pastors here on staff, and it's a joy to have you gather with us, but whether in the room or online, wherever you're at. And uh, so grateful to be with you. And some of y'all are looking really good in your red. Oh, now, look out, look out. Hey, uh, if you have a copy of Scripture, join me in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, if you didn't bring a copy of Scripture with you, you want to follow along, there's a QR code on the screen. You can pull out your phone, scan it. It'll take you to our central hub where you can follow along with the Scriptures, take some notes, email them to yourself, and you can track along with us today. We're going to read 25 verses starting in verse 1 of Matthew 24. This is what the Word says. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, do you see all of these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will all of this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. And if you hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all of this is only for the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so, all, so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. Now the day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about. The sacrilegious objects that causes desecration standing in the holy place. Reader, pay attention to this. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women, for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath. That's right. Jesus prophesied that we would fly in airplanes. I'm kidding. He prophesied that they would lose your luggage. Also not true. That word flight just means flee or escape in case you were wondering. 
Verse 21, for there will be greater anguish than any time since the world began, and it will never be so great again. In fact, unless the time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive, but it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. Then if anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it, for false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders, so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. See, I have warned you about this ahead of time. Let's pray. Jesus, these are your words. And so, Lord, I pray that we as readers, we would indeed pay attention. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a spirit to receive. God, what it is that you want to say to us here in this place today. We ask this in the name of the Father who loves us, the Son who died for us, and the Holy Spirit who lives within us, we pray. And all the people of God said, Amen. Amen. There are three major things that Jesus is communicating in this chapter. Now, two of them will talk about today, and the last one we'll get to next week. In fact, for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at passages and teachings of Jesus that point us and give us some clarity as we look toward the end of all time, as we look at what would be called the end times, as we look at kind of the culmination and the return of Jesus. Now, I, I, spoiler alert, I believe Jesus is coming again. In fact, much of our Christian hope anchors to this truth and reality. Jesus is the returning king. Long before Lord of the Rings came out, <laughs> Jesus says, I'm the king and I'm going to return. There are three things, though, that Jesus is talking about. The first thing he's, he's kind of telling us are some specifics about future, but now actually are historic for us, events. Some specific things he was talking about. There were also symbolic signs that he was giving us. And then the third thing that he talks about is the son of man's return. First thing I want to talk about today are the specifics. Everybody say specifics. Now, one of the things you need to understand about the Bible, about Scripture, is the Bible was written for us, but it is not written to us. It was written and communicated and originally given to a century of people, to a group of people that were hearing some very, very specific things for their life, for their time. Now, that doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't have application for our lives. On the contrary, it has a lot to say and impact us as well. But that's important for us to realize because it, the Bible can't mean something to us that it didn't mean to them. Are we tracking? Your wheels are turning. It, it, it can't mean something completely different to us than what it meant to them. There were some specific things that he was giving. So this first century hearer, Jesus was giving some specific things that absolutely related primarily and almost solely to them in this passage. But the Bible, and especially biblical prophecy, I've, I've heard it illustrated like this, that it's a little bit like a mountain 
a mountain range. You, you, you're driving up and you're climbing up and you're going up one mountain. But by the time you crest the top of that mountain, you look out and you see other connected sub-mountains to that main mountain. It is like a, a, a connected, a, a subterranean effect. There's, there's multiple connection points to this one mountain and it's all considered the mountains. The Bible is true. It is full of truth. But there are often layers. There are some specific things that it's saying, but then there are also principal things that it's saying. There are other things that are specific to them, but also relate back to us. And this is what Jesus is doing and what the writers in Scripture often do. This is why for us, we want to look at principles more than we look at the specifics of some things. We're always trying to understand the principle behind what God was saying. What was the picture God was painting? What was the point in these ceremonies and these laws and these things? So it points us to the truth of who Jesus is and what it looks like to be in his kingdom. When it comes to the specifics that Jesus was talking about, he was specifically talking about the destruction of the temple. In fact, he started this, this whole discourse. The disciples were like, wow, look at that building. Look how cool that church building looks like over there. Oh, I love that church building. Whoo, man, talk about a cool place. They were ooing and aahing over the architecture and the the grandeur and the majesty of these buildings and these places, and rightfully so, they were breathtaking. And Jesus is like, hey, uh, hey guys, you see how cool that building is? It's going to get destroyed. Jesus was specifically talking to them about the temple being destroyed. Now, it's, it was an earth-shaking thing for them because this temple was the center place for their spiritual lives. It was the culmination. It was the place where they encountered God's presence. It was where they went to offer sacrifices. It was where they gathered and worshiped and celebrated. And, and, and it was the, the iconic representation of all that was holy and good and promised to them. And Jesus was letting them know their world was about to get rocked. And they were going to be missing some of those things. I, I, it's not the exact same, but it is similar to what those of us who love gathering with the people of God experienced during COVID. How we long to be together, but there was a scattering and a, uh, an inability that we had for a period of time to even gather at the place. Friends, if, if the church buildings themselves are destroyed, we can still be the gathered people of God and we can still worship God. Whatever the structure that is built around us looks like, we can encounter Jesus. Amen? And Jesus was letting them know, though, there is something that's about to happen, and it's going to rock your world. The temple would be destroyed. Now, this was a judgment. In fact, it was actually a second judgment, as we discover in Scripture, for the people of God not completing and being obedient to the mission that God had placed them on. In fact, the first temple was destroyed and then it began an exile of God's people. The first temple that Solomon had built was destroyed in 586 BC by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians when he conquered Jerusalem and sent them into exile. 
And then there was a second temple that was built, but then later it was destroyed and the people of God then scattered as well. In fact, this started in 66 AD. It was initiated uh, by the first Roman Jewish war. And then in 70 AD, the Romans reclaimed Jerusalem and destroyed this temple with only a portion of it remaining. And they've discovered that that portion that was remaining has been even more so discovered as the Western Wall or what is lovingly referred to as the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. It's a holy sacred site. I've been there. It is absolutely surreal walking up to that wall and recognizing the history and the moments and the sacredness and the even holiness of such a moment I can only imagine what the whole temple looked like. But Jesus was letting them know specifically the centerpiece of what you think is required for you to be the people of God is about to be removed. And instead, the spirit of God is going to be poured out in fullness and the people of God will become the containers and the temple of God because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and he lives inside of everyone who has surrendered and invited him to fill them up. So you and I are now the living, breathing, embodied temple of God. So Jesus was specifically telling them about what was going to happen. In fact, 70 AD, it fully happened. It's now a historical event. One biblical dictionary says it like this. Just as the biblical prophets explained the first temple's destruction was a divine punishment for Israel's covenantal infidelity. Josephus, the historian, explains that the simple temple, second temple's fall as a result of the tyrant's sacrilegious occupation of the sanctuary and the evils they perpetrated against their own people. Josephus, of course, had been a part of the revolutionary government that had organized the revolt in 661 anyways. Further, Josephus points out this, that the Christian Jews that saw the Roman army coming, in fact, jumped from rooftop to rooftop and were able to escape. They took flight. They fleed. In a spectacular account, Josephus says, a great many Jews died in AD 70, but few Jewish Christians were killed. Why? Because they remembered the words of Jesus and sprang into action to be saved from this great tribulation that was coming. So the verses in Matthew 24, verse 15 through 22 that we read actually came into completion and fulfillment in AD 70. This was specifically something Jesus was telling them would specifically happen and it did. Jesus gave them a heads up so that they would not be shaken in their loyalty to him. Jesus gave them a heads up about what was coming. 
because he did not want their loyalty to him to be shaken. He did not want them to experience destruction. He did not want them to experience isolation. He wanted them to remain faithful followers to him. Friends, past faithfulness of God gives us confidence to remain faithful as we await the fulfillment of all he has promised us. So when we recall how he was present with us in our suffering, we can then hold on to him in current sufferings, knowing that he's going to remain faithful even if we are faithless. This is good news for you and me. We, we've got to learn from history. Friends, we have got to learn from the specifics of our own history. So that when life shakes us, we can remain loyal and faithful to Jesus. So when the rain comes and the storm's raging, your life and your house will not be shaken because you have built your life on a firm foundation who is Jesus Christ. Christ is our firm foundation the rock on which I stand if I could be so bold as to repeat to you the lyrics to which you just sang <laughs> coming out of COVID as a church leading into a new year we really were at a place where I, I just really sensed the Lord said you need to call the people to understand what it looks like to practice their faith. And, and one of the key verses that he gave me was Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says, he who hears these words, these teaching, these truths of mine, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rains comes, the storm building, but it did not fall. It remained because they had obeyed the teachings of Jesus. But there were other people who had the same storm, the same experience, the same wind and rain, but their life crashed because they built it on sand simply because they did not practice or obey the teachings of Jesus. Friends, the level of your obedience will determine the level of strength when you experience strange situations in your life. The level of strength of your faith will be determined, will be revealed when storms show up in your life. You won't know how strong your faith is until you come in contact with a storm. And Jesus is warning his disciples some specific things because he doesn't want their life to collapse. He wants them to remain faithful. Friends, as I look back during the last cycle of elections, the last two cycles of elections, as I look back over COVID, can I be really, really just transparent with you for a minute? I witnessed many people proclaiming Christ as their Savior lose their ever-loving loyalty because of the landscape of the season that we were in. Let me say it another way. Many people who showed up to church and towed to their Bible lost their ever-loving mind. We were shaken. And anything that could come, came. And friends, hear me. 
he hasn't returned yet, which means storms are still going to come. And I don't want us shaken in the next storm. I want us to remain faithful and loyal to him. And that requires us to develop a strength of faith that comes from the fullness of the spirit that comes from our obedience to practice our faith day in, day out to give him our heart, soul, mind, and strength so we don't lose our ever-loving loyalty to him again, but we remain until the end. That's my desire for you. That's my heartbeat for you. That's my plea and my prayer for us as a church. That that we would become those people. He gave them something specific. Because he didn't want them to lose their loyalty. But he also was talking symbolically. Everybody say symbolic. He is giving some symbolic signs. And and these symbolic signs were understandings because when we think symbolically about what he said, we begin to understand that he used some apocalyptic language, which is almost always meant to be interpreted symbolically, not literally. In fact, the book of Revelation, most people, I believe, misunderstand what the book is all about because they're trying to read it literally instead of symbolically. We're going to get a little bit more into that next week when we talk about the return of Christ and some of the parables Jesus tells. We're going to, we're going to get into that third part when we talk about the son returning and uh, how do we understand and what does that all mean for us and his second coming and what it's going to look like, what it's going to feel like, what it's going to be like. But I need you to understand that apocalyptic language is littered throughout scripture. It was a way of describing something symbolically not meant to be taken specifically and literally. In other words, often the symbolic language Jesus gives us and the symbolic language of the scriptures help us understand spiritual things as we see natural things unfolding. In other words, there's always more going on than what you can see with your eyes. Symbolism and these symbolic signs and even the specific events that we occur and we experience in our lives and that history repeats itself all point to something happening in the hidden spiritual realm. Uh, Ephesians 6, 11 through 12 says it like this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Somebody say stand. stand. Not fall, not crumble, not run away, but Stand. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Say what? There is more going on than what you can see. And Jesus is giving us symbolic signs to help us understand that there's something else happening in our life and in our world. And Jesus goes on to give seven signs. Six of them are 
negative or troubling signs, and one of them is a good sign. But he gives us seven signs, things to pay attention to. Seven signs that symbolize something is happening in the realm that you can't see, but it's manifesting in the world in which you can see. These are symbolic signs. Let's go through them. Number one, the first sign that he gives us, and he gives it repeatedly throughout this passage, is that there are false messiahs coming. False messiahs. Why would Jesus be telling us this? Here's why. Because he doesn't want you to put your hope in a man. He doesn't want you to put your hope in a human system. He wants you to put your hope in him as the coming king. Your hope, your fidelity, your allegiance, your faith, your your anticipation ought to center on who Jesus is and on nothing else. And this is a warning that he repeats many, many times in this passage. Why? Because we as humans tend to grasp for the tangible things and people that we can see, thinking that people are going to solve the problems that we think are really there. The problem is, the problem isn't really what we're seeing. There's some other problem that's occurring. But we hold on to and we put our faith in people who promise us to produce an outcome that we want, especially in moments of our uncertainty. When life gets uncertain, there will be people trying to tell you to put your hope in them, that they can drain a swamp, that they can make the economy better, that they can overcome the false rulers of our world, that they can make your land great again, and they want you to put your hope in them to solve your problems, but the problem isn't really what the problem is. The problem is there's something going on and earth itself is being shaken and awakened and your hope needs to be in Jesus. We cannot keep grasping for a a physical solution when it's a spiritual battle. Why do we do that? You want to know why? Why? Because we keep eating from the wrong tree. When trouble happens in our lives, when things get uncertain in our lives, we go to grab from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, trying to make sense and create outcomes that are favorable for us. And we've been called and created by God to eat from the tree of life, to eat from the tree that says, Jesus, you are my source. Jesus, you are my life. I'm going to listen to your voice and the voice of a stranger I will not follow. The sign is there are many people promising you good things. Put your hope in Jesus, no matter what signs of your of your season and situation, they can promise to make better. Put your hope in Jesus. Second sign, he says, symbolically is like, hey, there's, there's going to be some wars, wars and rumors of wars, nations against nations. And I do believe that we are in that same dispensation of time that Jesus is talking about. It is true that um, Jesus's return is imminent. It's going to happen. Whether it happens in your lifetime or the next, uh, of the next generation's lifetime, 
From the very beginning, the earliest disciples believed Jesus was coming again. They knew he would come. They were just expecting it maybe in their lifetime. And many of them, I think, came to the realization that he really isn't coming in their lifetime. But he is coming in that same dispensation of time. I'm going to get more into dispensations of time next week when we talk about biblical understanding of numbers and how Jesus talked and what we need to understand. Here's what I need you to understand. Jesus died, was resurrected, is enthroned, and is seated in heaven and we are in the dispensation of time known as the church age where he is ruling and reigning on high. We are his ambassadors taking authority and and thrones and he gave us keys to the kingdom and whatever we bind is bound and whatever we loose is loosed and we are doing kingdom business now until he returns and when he returns, he's returning one more time and when he returns, everything gets rectified, restored and renewed and made right yet again. But Jesus was giving us some signs. There's going to be a lot of wars. There's going to be a lot of battles. There's going to be a lot of things. Don't panic. Don't panic. He's already overcome the world. You don't need to panic. You don't need to repanic. There's going to be cycles, wars. Things that take place cycle after cycle. Don't panic. Jesus says, I'll be with you. Don't panic. Third third symbol he gives us here are natural disasters. Famines. Earthquakes. And pain. I've been praying for the people of Turkey. In that region who experienced these earthquakes recently. Jesus says these natural disasters are like birth pains. Now now notice, he didn't say the birth pain was the final pain. He actually said it's the beginning of pain. As a man, I'm not going to pretend to understand birth pains. Just not going to do it. Not an idiot. (laughs) But he says this, he says, these kinds of things that are going to happen are the beginning of birth pains. You can endure the birth pains because you know there is something beautiful on the other side of those birth pains. There's something on the other side of those things. There's something that is being birthed in the world. There is something that the earth and society and all of our, 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 our world system is groaning in anticipation for something to be revealed, for something to come. Don't be afraid of the birth pains because it's the beginning of the new life that is to come. Can you imagine just for a minute how an infant feels in the womb? They love it in there. It's great. It's their own personal pool. Swimming around, dancing to music, getting fed all the time. Like, what a great life. Only to be um, evicted (laughs) from everything they knew and loved about their life and their world. Everything about their life and world was being shaken radically. But was it worth it? Because there's such a greater life for them to experience outside of the womb. Friends, the trouble of this life are just birth pains. 
Because what you are going to experience on the other side of the resurrection is going to be so much better. It's going to be true life void of sin and pain and the trouble that comes from sin. Oh, it might feel uncomfortable and unpleasant and painful, but hang in there. It's the beginning. You are nearing the end. You're not at the end, but you're nearing the end. So remain loyal in the process and trust that those on the other side know what's coming and they know it's good. Even though you're kicking, screaming, and crying an awful lot and causing some pain and it's not going as fast as you want it to, but just rest in it. Isn't this comforting to hear the words of Jesus in this way? He, he says, here's another warning sign. There's persecution coming. They're going to hate you. They're going to, they're going to, some of you are going to die. You're all going to die. I mean, the first disciples. And one thing is certain. If Jesus doesn't return while you're on this side of the, the dirt, you'll die too. But resurrection is still coming for all of us who has put our faith in Jesus. He says persecution is coming. And it did. It went through the church and through the church age. And friends, persecution still exists in our world today. I just want to ask you one question though. As we sit here in our comfy chairs, getting ready to celebrate and be with family and friends and cheer on a chief's victory tonight. I, I, I want to ask you one question. Would you remain loyal if it was illegal? If it's illegal to own a Bible, if it's illegal to sing a song, if it was illegal to gather with other people under the name of Jesus, if it was punishable by death, would you still be loyal to Jesus? Before you get too quick in answering, yes, I would like to think I would too. But how many times do you skip church and not read your Bible because you wanted to sleep in because you had a busy Saturday running around to sporting events? And you're like, eh, it's an option. I don't know that I'll take it today. When it's inconvenient, how faithful are we to Jesus? When the going is tough and you're experiencing trials and tribulations and you get a diagnosis and you deal with surgery and a family member's facing death, what, what's your loyalty like? I'd like to say, yeah, I'm in. I'll die for you, Jesus. But will I live for you? Will I be loyal with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength for you? Friends, this is what I long for us as a church to wrestle with these realities and to become the radiant people of God this year developing a strength of faith so that we can remain faithful no matter the situations we face, no matter what it looks like. We can be faithful to him and loyal to him. Not when it's just convenient and celebrated and two quarterbacks on the greatest stage are professing their faith in Jesus all over media. That's wonderful. But what if it's illegal? Friends, these are the questions we have to examine our heart as we sit here and say, Jesus, we want to give you all of our life. I want us to remain faithful. This is why we're going to study the book of Acts together. So we remind ourselves what it looks like to be the radiant people of God 
who are strong in the Lord and in the power of his might so that we can stand strong against the schemes of the enemy no matter the situations we face. Jesus gives us another sign. He says many are going to turn away. Number five, they're going to forsake Jesus. They're going to betray Jesus. They're going to deconstruct their faith. It's a buzzword right now in our world. Deconstruction. And, and some are deconstructing because they're deconstructing something that wasn't really the true gospel anyways and they've never really heard the King Jesus gospel presented in the right way and it was never a life-giving thing. It was just... Some people are deconstructing because they've had experience within the people of God and within faith and within following Jesus and it brought them a lot of pain. Yeah. Me too. Me too. I've got a long list of things that have brought me a lot of pain because of people in the church. Some people don't know how to find their healing. Some people remain bitter. And some people are deconstructing and walking away from following Jesus in this season because they fed their love for the world more than they fed their love for God. And Jesus lets us know, hey, um, there's going to be an exodus of people who claim to have once followed me, and now they're ex-followers of me. Friends, we want to stay loyal. Second Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come difficult times For people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control. They'll be brutal, not loving good. They'll be treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Why? Because many are going to turn away in the, in the last time, in this time in which we live. He says, number, number six, sin will be rampant. Here's the next warning sign. Sin's going to be everywhere. Let me say it another way. Sin will be publicly celebrated. And then he adds this phrase. And their love will grow cold. You want to know why our love for God grows cold? Because sin grows rampant, tolerated, and sometimes celebrated in our own life. And sin will suffocate your life and relationship with Jesus. Let me say it another way. Sin that is unrepented, unconfessed, unacknowledged before God will eat away at your love for God and draw your love to something else. Friends, we want to maintain a loyal love as we embody our trust in God by continuing. Here's how we do it. By continuing our kingdom assignment and fueling our affections for King Jesus. What, the, the seventh warning that he gave us, 
was that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all of the world. That's good news. That's a good sign. That even though all of these other signs, six of them are all taking place and they're bad and they're destructive and they're siphoning away our love and our affection and causing our love to grow cold, causing our lives to be shaken, our strength to be weak instead of standing strong. All of these things are going to happen, but the kingdom of God will go because the gospel of the kingdom will be preached. The good news will be delivered. People will hear about what Jesus has done and he and his friends and his followers will preach the good news throughout the whole world to every ethnic group, to every nation, tribe, and tongue that there will be a people of God who remain loyal, who stand ready in their kingdom assignment to say, I'm an ambassador for the kingdom of God. I'm going to go into my workplace and represent Jesus in a way where my faith will not be shaken because I'm strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I'm not being fooled by what my eyes see because I recognize that what my eyes see are signs of something spiritually taking place in our world and Jesus has overcome it all I love how there were six signs and they were all negative six in biblical understanding is the number of man oh but the seventh sign was a good sign it was a sign of the kingdom because seven stands for the number of God the number of completion the number of perfection Because even if there are six things that are evil and rampant and ruining our world and our society, there is a God who stands ready and his kingdom and his gospel and his word will not fail. It will not return void. It will accomplish what it says it'll do. In other words, if God has promised you that he's going to be with you, he's going to be with you. He's promised to give you forgiveness. He's going to give you forgiveness. He's promised to be uh, alongside of you and giving you his spirit. He's going to give you his spirit and power and you can be strong in the Lord and remain loyal and radiant in your assignment and you can fuel your affections for King Jesus can I just give you one practical way that you can do that join a connect group well I'm not saying if you join a connect group you'll have a best friend tomorrow I'm not saying if you join a connect group, all of your problems in the world are going to go away. (laughs) You might meet 12 new problems. I don't know. (laughs) That was pretty funny. (laughs) And what was bad is some of you had pictures of people in your head and (laughs) whew. Listen, 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 listen. When you join a connect group, it helps you to gather with others who want to help you fuel your love for God too. Other people who are trying to stay faithful until the end of time. Other people who want to look you in the eyes and say, no, no, keep going. Don't get distracted. Keep your love on. Keep feeding your love the right things. Move on. You don't have to do this alone We can fuel each other's love for God as we help each other stay strong. Join a connect group. Try one. If you don't like it, try another one. It's really okay. Don't find one that you like. Finish growth track. Become a group leader and start one you do like. 
Friends, for all of the specifics Jesus did give us, for all of the signs that he's trying to help us think correctly about, there's still a lot of mystery in this subject. And we must trust even in the midst of tribulation and trouble, which you will experience and which I will experience, we can still endure until the end. I'll say it next week, but if your understanding of the end times does not include trials and tribulations, you have an understanding of the end times that is not biblical. It is not what Jesus taught, what the disciples taught, what Paul taught, nor what the book of Revelation reveals. In this world, you will experience tribulation and trouble. Jesus said, but take heart because I've overcome it all and I'm coming again for you. Would you stand with me? We're going to end and land this plane a little bit different than maybe I've ever ended a message. Because at the end of the day, we want to remain Jesus. Amen? And at the end of the day, I don't want us to feel like we're alone. Because the people who are standing around you want to do the same thing. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to, to close your eyes and place a hand on someone's shoulder next to you. And I want you to agree in your mind with these words that Paul wrote in Romans. Because these are the anchor for our soul in these moments. Before you close your eyes, look around to make sure nobody's standing by themselves and nobody is without a hand on their shoulder. We are not that kind of a church to leave people by themselves. We are family. Make sure someone's got a hand on someone's shoulder next to them. Close your eyes and let's agree with these words. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. And its will, against its will, all creation was subject to God's curse, but with eager hope. Creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until this present time. And we believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. We long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when Jesus will give us our full rights as his adopted children including the new bodies that he's promised us. We, we were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all the hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them 
For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to be like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he given them his glory. And what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Oh, if God is for us, who could ever be against us? Since he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. And who then will condemn you? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Oh, does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecution or are hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so, Lord, we add to that, let it be, as the people of God, we say, amen. This is our hope, friends. And know this, you are loved And you are not alone. Let's speak blessing over one another today. Can we do that? It's up on the screen. Let's say it nice and strong, louder than we're going to yell at the TV today. Let's say it together. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer, our team's available. We love you. Go in God's grace and peace. Stop by. Sign up for a connect group. We love you. I really hope today's message was life-giving. As a church, we want to help you encounter God and take another next step in your allegiance to Jesus. I want to ask you to take a step right now, in fact. Would you just share this message with a friend? Maybe post it on your social, text a coworker the link, Just be sure to include something that you learned or how it impacted you personally. When you do that, you get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in someone else. And don't forget to visit our central hub, faithchurchks.org. You'll find other next steps that you can take in your faith, including giving and partnership with us as we help others encounter Jesus like you've encountered him. Hey, we love you. And until we get to hang out again, remember, Don't shrink back from your faithful allegiance to King Jesus.